Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another fantastic edition of Fandom Talk. But even more excited than that, it is not just Fandom Talk. It is the Star Wars EU or EU review, the October Horror Fest edition, by all technical reference. But uh, it's not necessarily so much a Horror Fest edition as it is a, a celebration of, of a man who... For some reason, when he was a child, loved this book, okay? <laughs> because, ladies and gentlemen, on, on October 1st, uh, my brother, Josh the Wise Sage. The busiest man in fandom. The busiest man in fandom this week, and, and really this month, honestly. <clears throat> it was his birthday, and uh, we are very happy that he is with us, um, just in general. But he's, we're also very happy that he's with us this month. And we could not think of a better way to honor his birthday than by having him as a guest star on this month's uh, this month's episode. So first and foremost, Josh, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing real well. I'm, I'm excited good? to talk about something that has been a uh, that that is a part of who I am. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yes. For better and for worse. For mostly better. for worse. <laughs> mostly for worse. Yes. <laughs> and as always, <clears throat> oh excuse me, if you uh, cannot tell by my sultry tones, as as they are. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Um, I am Jacob, Jacob Vance Hardesty. I'm the editor in chief here at the Fan of Correspondence, and one of the co-hosts of the Star Wars EU or EU Review. But as always, I am also joined by the other co-host of the EU or EU Review, and that is Al, the Red Lanyard. Al, you doing all right tonight, man? Uh, I'm doing wonderful. I can't wait to talk about like um, an appropriate book for Horror Fest because I can't. Think of a more horrific um, entry in the Star Wars canon um, than this one. Um, it scared me while I was reading it, so I'm so I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this episode, and I'm ready to um, to share some more airtime with my boy Josh. You know, we've been at it this month, so let's do it. You guys absolutely have, and if you, if anyone who is listening has not had a chance, you should absolutely be checking out some of the Horror Fest uh, podcasts from this month. Um, or from any month, quite frankly. Or from any month, really, yes. Uh, the the past two years were fantastic. This year has been no different. All three podcasts that are, that are live right now are just wonderful to listen to. Um, they are, they do get a little spooky, and some of them get a little heavy, so, you know, that, that does happen. So feel free to, uh, you know... Pardon me. Feel free to have a small content warning on that. Um, and speaking of content warnings, we do want to let you all know. <clears throat> the book we are talking about tonight is called Shadows of the Empire from 1996. Um, it was a very different time in the fandom. And we want to go ahead and give you all a heads up that there are some iffy moments of... I would say sexual harassment and coercion. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they're not great. Um, and if that is going to upset anyone, then feel, then feel free to, um, to, you know, maybe skip those parts of the episode and, or not read this book because let me tell you, unfortunately we cannot talk about this book without bringing those, th those moments up because they are focal points to the story, which is so weird, but we're going to get to it. Um, and we're gonna get through this together. We're, we we are here together, guys, and we're we're gonna get through this. Um, so yeah, so Shadows of the Empire. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll just go ahead and just jump right in. Um, Al, this was your first time reading this book. 
It was. What were your just opening thoughts about just your first time jumping into this book? And did you have any kind of knowledge of what this storyline was or how big it was back in 1996? Mm, sure. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so, I had heard of this book. Um, specifically from um, the man who is um, collaborating with us tonight, because um, I remember last year when I first started my journey into um, the Star Wars Expanded Universe uh, materials, that I hit you all up and I was just like, hey guys, what are your favorite like um, Star Wars books and stories uh, like outside of the films and like um, the cartoons, because I want to get into with their stuff. Um, I did that with uh, basically everybody um, who was close to me. So, like, I did that with my wife, Alyssa. And that's how um, I started out reading um, the Thrawn uh, trilogy. Um, I did that uh, with Jacob as well, who recommended some good uh, books to me. Um, and then Josh, probably my most enthusiastic <clears throat> um, participant in, in this effort was just like, Al, you have to read Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. <laughs> and I was and I was just like, okay, Josh, cool. And Josh was like, Al, I don't think you understand. <laughs> you need to read this book because there's a character in it that is going to change the way you think about the Star Wars universe. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, wow, okay, cool. And so as this day got closer and closer to us for us to cover it, um, I did a little bit of research. How I usually do episodes for um, our Star Wars show um, is usually I do like some cursory research of the book or the game or whatever it might be. And do some basic, you know, like when did it come out? Um, how was it received? Um how often did the writer write other Star Wars stuff? Um, I find that really interesting. Um, and so I read a little bit about it. I read that this one had a pretty big release as far as Star Wars books go. Um, so I knew going into it that, like, we had this book. There were, like, video games made um, for tie-ins. There were a bunch of toys made. Uh, it was adapted into a comic book series that, like, a bunch of, like, the old Legends stuff often was. So I was just like, okay, cool, cool, you know, I'm into it. Let's try it out. And so we crack into it. Um, and I had never, I thought I had never read anything by Steve Perry before. That is the author of this book. But his style, for some reason, felt oddly familiar to me. So I... So I did some more um, research into um, Steve Perry's bibliography and realized that he's written a few things. Um, I don't want to spoil one because I think Josh might bring it up when we talk more about Steve Perry. But um, he's written a few things, and I realized he wrote some alien books uh, that I had read in high school because uh, I was really into, like, alien expanded universe stuff. So I was just like, oh, okay. Cool. So like he's he's been around the sci-fi scene. And I do like to talk about the the authors of the books we read because um I think that's really important 
to kind of talk about like their writing style and their approach, especially when it's characters that like we know really well. And this is a book about like um, the the original cast of Star Wars as well as some other characters. And I can't talk about this book without talking about a parallel I made when um, I told Josh um, that I had just um, started reading it which was Steve Perry writes characters the way that Neil Druckmann, who's the director of um, The Last of Us 2, um, the way he like advertises his games. Because for people who recall, uh, for OG fans who listened to our Last of Us Part 2 episode, mm. um, sh- shout outs to y'all. Um, that was actually, actually one of the complaints I had about like, the culture surrounding that game um, is one because everybody's assholes, but also that the um, old Druckmann just like kept insisting on this game. Every time I heard about the game, it was him tweeting out or doing a YouTube video where it was just like, "Hey, everybody, this game's really intense, and like all of these, all these NPCs you're gonna kill are like have like." real names and we've written like real backstories and families to them and some of them have dogs and you'll have to like stab the dogs and the dogs have names and the dogs have like families at home too and they've gone on adventures with each other and like it's gonna be really like it's gonna be super hard it's gonna be really intense um that kind of ruined the experience of the game for me in some ways (laughs) because i just really wanted him to shut up about how awesome his game was and just kind of allow me to experience it when Steve Perry writes his characters, especially the character he created, which um, is um, Prince Zizor, Zizor, I don't know if anybody's ever come to like a we final answer. So, so, so here, here, here's the issue of this. Okay, you said Shizor. Okay, when I was rereading, I noticed he gets rid of a robot in his his robot care because he keeps mispronouncing his name as Shizor. So I think it's Zizor. I honestly do think that's what it is. Mm, okay. Uh, but anyway, but because like I that, that that's you talk about a fun plot point, the <laughs> fact that they can't they can't pronounce his name right in the book, but they mm. never tell us how to pronounce it, uh, is is hilarious to me. But anyway, go on. I think it's Zizor. <laughs> no, no, that's great. Uh, um, it's like it's like the opposite of Hermione in Harry Potter, where there's like a whole scene to, um, dedicated to tell the fans how to uh, pronounce her name. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, but um, anyway, screw J.K. Rowling. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um, Steve Perry, when he talks about Prince Zizor and talks about the character he is, the type of person he is, there's a, a principle in storytelling um, called like show, don't tell. And um, I think it is worth sometimes like expounding on things. But um, old Steve Perry, God bless him, is, like, horrible at doing that. Uh, because, like, he, he just really wants you to know that, oh, God, Prince Ezor is cool. Like, oh, man, he's, he, he's really a badass dude. He's really, he, like, knows, like, space kung fu, and he isn't afraid to use it. You know, like, he's really, he's really smart, and he's got all these schemes, and, like, every paragraph, you're going to get reminded that Prince Ezor is really cool. And you're really smart uh, because, like, you need to you need to know that. And we aren't gonna like <laughs> we aren't gonna like address the whole fatalistic 
thing that like you're propping up this really significant huge antagonist that we know for a fact like is not uh, does not have a role to play in Return of the Jedi but <laughs> we're gonna really prop him up so that you know he's really cool um, that was one of the things that stuck out to me um, just like um, Steve Perry really wanted you to think his original character was like the coolest guy around um, and as as a lot of people know um, that's a good way for for people to not have that belief is when you're trying to convince them of it um, so that's just one of the things that kind of um, stuck out to me as I kind of started my journey and what a journey it was into shadows of the, <laughs> the shadows of the empire uh yeah no i i mean f fantastic opening um i was going to ask gosh about his thoughts of the book however instead of talking about his thoughts on the book i have to ask him because gosh you were the one who you said you were 12 years old when this came out because this wasn't just a book in fact, if you go to the Wikipedia page for Shadows of the Empire, it is considered a multimedia project. Mm -hmm. So would you like to expound on more so the the things surrounding the entire storyline of Shadows of the Empire? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to because I don't think we can really talk about this book of talking about the fact that this is one of the, this is one of the biggest failed experiments in media history, really. Um, because what you had was... So essentially what happens is, is Power of the Force figures launch in what, 94, 95, 95. something like Okay. And they are a massive hit that people weren't expecting there would be a mass fit because most people thought this is going to shock some people. Are you ready? Mm. It's going to shock some people. Most people thought Star Wars was done. Okay. Crazy. They thought it was over. Okay. Like, it, you know, time passed. We've moved on to Indiana Jones and Tim Burton's Batman mm. and stuff like that as far as like things that are, you know, uh, action adventure type stuff for kids okay and so we've moved on from star wars uh powers of force hits and it's a massive just like hit uh people love it uh it's a really you know I, I, it's a basic toy line but it's a it's a it's a far-reaching one um can't keep them in stores so lucas of course who hasn't never seen an idea that he doesn't want to squeeze every dollar out of was like well if there's more stuff for star wars out there if there's more uh, of a clamoring for Star Wars media, and yet I'm still, you know, at this point I've written three words about Episode One on a on a notepad somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, what can we do to keep the ball rolling? And around this time, you also have things that are hitting, which is the Star Wars expanding universe. Which, of course, you know, you have things like Teresa Bacar. I think it come out at this point. Mm -hmm. Of course, your Princess Leia might have been out. Uh, Air to Empire, my man. Okay, so you've had, so you've got success there. So what Lucas does, because Lucas has never been, he's never touched at this point, the expanding universe. So every bit of, when you when you guys are doing the expanding universe, one thing I would like to underline when you're doing Thrawn trilogy, if you do Corsair Prince, if you do anything, you have to understand that you're touching things and dealing with things that Lucas had no oversight on whatsoever. Mm -hmm. All he did was literally just, yeah, go. You, you can do what you want, Luke. I don't care. You want Luke to fill up a witch on Dathomar? Yeah, that's a thing that can happen. Go for it. Okay? And I'm not lying, by the way. That's a thing that does happen. And so, like, um, you know, that that is a that's a big part of what is happening with Shadows of the Empire because – 
this is the only time until maybe Starkiller that Lucas has a say in anything that's an expanded universe. And I don't know that he do anything with Starkiller. So uh, from, from an expanded universe, biotechnical reference, Gennady Tartakovsky's Clone Wars is also expanded universe, which he did have a small, like he did like help him a little bit with some of the storyboards leading up to Revenge of the Sith. Okay. However, following that, you are correct. He did have a small hand in, in okay. Starkiller as well. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, 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 okay. So, but still you're looking at what a, Eight years, roughly, yeah, yeah, roughly eight years in between, um, and also like you, and, and also he did not have near as much in no, in not not by all, not at all. Okay, so this is this, that's what makes this book so weird to me, because this is this is this is George Lucas saying we're going to put all of Lucasfilm behind this book. Yeah, so they put literally every aspect of Lucasfilm they had, including, as I pointed out, there's a soundtrack that you can still get on Spotify mm-hmm. to this day. Yeah. There were toys. Yep. There were video games. Yep. There were comic books. Trading cards. Trading cards. Okay. Tra- trading cards for a for a book, ladies and gentlemen. Micro machines. Yeah. Micro machines. I, I was getting that, that was under toys. Yes. Micro me, machines uh, are always great to talk about. So you do have an entire multimedia concept here, and I remember when it hit because the first Christmas that I that I got into Star Wars was '97, mm. and so up to that point, if you wanted to buy Star Wars toys. You were buying Star Wars Shaw's Empire toys. For example, the Slave One I had, uh, uh, Boa Fett's Slave One. The the one I had was the Shadows of the Empire Slave One. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that might have been the first one they did in the Power of the Force. They do one besides that? I think they might have done another one like during the uh, like special when the special editions came out. So it might be like the second series. Right, okay. But the first one was Shadows of the Empire one. Right. So, but so, so you had you had toys, you had, uh, and not just toys. You had a you had an expansive amount of toys, including two versions of Prince Zizor, Everybody, mm-hmm. two versions. You had a regular standard Prince Zizor that came with these two little thin things that he never used in the book. Never used in the book. I kept waiting. Yeah, I know. I kept <laughs> waiting too. That these two little like thin things that like look like uh, fans, like they're fans, but they also look like they're like a shield if you put them together. Mm. Um, you had that version of Prince Caesar, and then you also had a version of Prince Caesar. It came with Darth Vader, uh, where Darth, he has a like a like a like a electro spear, yeah, electro staff, which he also never uses, which in the he book. never used in the book either. Okay, <laughs> so so, but I had I had both those. I remember getting mm-hmm. both those. They were under the Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, Santa brought both those to me, um, and like and so my when I say this is part of who I am as a Star Wars fan, is because the vast majority of my Love of Star Wars comes under the banner of Shadows of the Empire. Here's the interesting thing, though. I did not hadn't had not read this book. Mm. Okay, when when these when when I'm getting all this stuff, I have not read this book. So mm. like, you know, the big things, of course, are uh, Dash Rendar, yeah, who I did get for Christmas, but I had no clue who this guy was. Mm-hmm. Um, Prince Caesar, of course. Uh, Princess Leia in the in the Boo-ish costume. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, you also have Luke Skywalker in the in the it's a it's a castle guard costume. It's like the it's red, red, yeah. You know, you've also got Chewbacca dressed up as a uh, as a bounty hunter. Bounty hunter. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course, also at this time, you also have Han Solo and Carbonite, so you can mm. play that out. So you can stick Han Solo in the in the it's slave like one, one yeah. and you can just fly around and play around with yeah. Han Solo. Oh, so cool! Oh, I, uh, days go by, guys. That days go do. by. Hold do. on, to, hold on to those. Um, so you had you have all this. All these 
toys, all these, all this fantastic stuff. There's a video game um, mm-hmm. that around this time is one of the launch titles for the Nintendo 64. It is. Okay. And so you would go to Toys R Us and you would walk and you'd play that first level. And that first level is just a bad, bad piece of gaming, guys. I mean, like you get into you get into the snow speeder and you're ready to go and you take down the ATAT, you know, and by the time you do that is when your parents tell you to go. So you think the game is good. So you think the game is good and you don't realize it's a really bad third person shooter for the rest of the game. Um, because they trick you with that first level. Yeah. But anyway, I, all these things are like iconic moments that I remember that were being pushed for Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. And they truly thought they could build an entire mythology off of Shadows of the Empire and could push this into making a- as much money as they would on a regular movie, mm-hmm. which is what is hilarious to me. Okay? Uh, that is just funny stuff. Okay? Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little about Steve Perry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. I thought there was something I missed. Now, here's some things I knew about Steve Perry. I knew he worked on Batman the Animated Series. I knew he won an Emmy for Batman the Animated Series. I wasn't aware of that. Okay. I knew he was on Gargoyles. Did you know that? I wasn't aware of that. He's on Gargoyles when he's doing this. Okay. Wow. But the one that apparently I missed, <laughs> okay. Okay. The same time he's doing this. This Do you is know, a surprise. This, Steve Perry, this is a surprise. <laughs> I guess it's the one that he brought up because like, Al had this like little glint. In his voice when he was like, <laughs> and I can't wait for Josh to talk about that. I did not know this until this moment, until I looked it up. He was on the Street Fighter animated series. Oh, my God. At the same time he's working on this. That is beautiful. That so, is amazing. So he's literally he's literally writing this as he's writing the Street Fighter animated series, which is great because the guys, Street Fighter animated series is, is it's, it's schlock. It's totally, like, ridiculous. But also might be one of the best Saturday morning cartoons of all time. So does that include like the TikTok that you sent us the other day? Oh yeah, that's where, what includes okay. TikTok. We're like, you know, I don't know why that guy was trying to just murder that girl. You know, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, oh yeah, it does. It also includes the one of my favorite lines in history, which I'm I'm hoping Steve Perry wrote is you know Chun Lee comes in like you killed my father, and then Gal's like you killed my father, and then Bison just goes, I killed my father too. You'll see me whining about it. I don't know why <laughs> that is such an amazing. I hope Steve Perry wrote that line. Okay. But I can't, I can't imagine that he wrote that line because oh, man. one of the things you have to talk about with this book and one of the disappointments you have is that even at 13, and one of the reasons I went out to read it so bad, is even at 13, I knew it was a horrible book. Mm. It's bad on yeah. so many levels. And, like, you're reading it and you're like – so, like, it, it's one thing to make Prince Zizor how he is. Mm. And it's one way to make Dash Rendar how he is, who is also a, a complete creation – from Steve Perry, pretty much. I mean, like there was stuff they had to do for the to work with the video games. Sure, um, but he's pretty much the guy behind Dash Rendar too, um, who is the other guy that gets pushed in this. Okay, mm-hmm. like the two the two people that they were pushing were Prince Zizor and Dash Rendar, which is hilarious in hindsight. Sure, um, but like with Dash Rendar, you had the figure, and he also got a big uh, vehicle. You mm-hmm. could get his Outrider, which I think is the I, I was talking with Jake yesterday. I think is the ugliest Star Wars. Uh, ship in history. It doesn't make any sense to me. You, you uh, should go look up the outrider. Aesthetically or from a physics standpoint. Yep. Um, but um, those were the two big guys they pushed. And it's one way to make them the way they are, which I think is just completely unlikable in all facets. It's another way to be like, to have Luke and mm. Leia and Darth Vader mm. speak like they do. Sure. And it's just like little things like, like Luke, like Darth Vader coming back from a from a uh, from a battle and saying like the rebels put up a fight. Now that doesn't sound like much, 
but like, you know, that's not something Darth. You know, that's not that's not that's not how Darth Vader that's would frame Darth Vader, that. Yeah. Okay, Darth Vader is just very to the point. The rebels are have they have been destroyed. Okay, like I mean, mm-hmm. that's what it is. But he has like this like long. The rebels put up a fight, but we chased them down. Did this this and this this. You know, and it's like really just you know unnecessary how mm-hmm. he how he writes Darth Vader as like this this. Warrior, warrior general, kind of, yeah. It's very strange. It's like it's just really a strange. Um, and to me, and I, I want to know what you guys think about this. So going back and reading a second time, I do not believe in any way, shape, form, or fashion that the Darth Vader from Episode Four, Five, and Six, and then of course, and 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 I'm trying not to do this, but also with hindsight of reading the Darth Vader of Kieran Gillen. Greg mm. Pak, Charles oh. Soul, um, and then then the Darth Vader of like Rebels, you know, I have a hard time believing that Darth Vader that that Darth Vader that we are shown mm. would give a you know what about Prince Zizor in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Very very fair. Like, yes. why does he care so much? Like, I... you know, like I I understand Prince Zizor's thing. I understand like they, like they do a good job of explaining like Prince Zizor's issue okay mm. and like and like they laying out steve perry does a pretty good job of laying out um like his let me rip back up steve perry does a manageable job of laying out his <laughs> of his you know his strategy and everything like that um so i understand where zizor is coming from i don't understand why darth vader cares darth vader comes off looking like a spoiled little boy who's like Who's like you know like like mommy got a new stepfather and Darth Vader's angry about it mm. and that's how it comes off and like it's just a very weird dynamic sure because like there's that one scene there's that one scene where like Darth Vader is reporting so Zizor so once again I know we're gonna get into specifics later but this one has nothing to do with anything that's another thing about this book this book has so many parts that have nothing to do with anything nothing else nothing to do with, yeah but like. There's this one part where Zizor's like, "Hey, Darth Vader, there's a rebel base on uh, Coughless. Coughless, yeah, on Coughless, okay." And so Darth Vader's like, "Cool, I'm gonna go destroy that rebel base." And then he's like, "Then he goes, I'm not gonna tell the Emperor that Prince Zizor told me about the rebel base." <laughs> Which is just one. Why? Like, who is it? What does it matter? Like, does Darth Vader care? Here's and the then, thing. And then, hold on, hold on. I'm not even funny. Then later on, so then Darth Vader, Darth Vader's like, "Yeah, we destroy the rebels." And then the can't, then like. Emperor, because he's a because sa- we're dealing with sassy emperor on this one, <laughs> lets his camera pan over so that Prince Zizor is there, and is like, "Don't you think Prince Zizor did a good job telling us about that?" And I'm like, "What type of writing is this?" And then it's like Darth Vader, like he's like, he says he's, he like he has to catch his breath because Zizor's there, yes. and I'm just, yep. what a weird dynamic these three characters have <laughs> all the way around, you know. And like, but this this was, but that's what I'm telling you. Okay, this this is where this is where Star Wars was at in mm. 1998. Mm. Okay, and this is when when we we had a we had a podcast. We had other people on here, and I and I always make the statement Disney um, Disney say Star Wars, and the other people we had on podcasts all pushed against me. And what I will always tell these people is, if you could go back to 1998. 96. What, whatever. whatever. This yeah. lasted for as long as 98. <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> so what I'm saying is like, you know, if you go back to the mid nineties and just look at what star Wars was, you would understand where I was coming from because one of the big issues was when start, when Disney took over Star Wars, they looked at all this stuff and they were like, we don't want to touch that stuff with 10 foot pole. Mm. And so they got rid of all of it, kept the things they wanted. And they're like, Hey, there's a sexy blue guy. We'll bring him into it, but everything else we're going to destroy. Okay. Sure. <laughs> and like, 
that was the absolute right decision because there's no way. Once again, I have I can't stress this when we when we start talking about the the more uh, like PG thirteen to R rated aspects of this book. Sure, there were literal toys marketed <laughs> to children ages four and up with Prince Zizor on there, and Prince Zizor spends thirty percent of his time in this book either being aroused, becoming aroused, being fully aroused, or wanting to rape somebody. That is the entirety of his character in this book. 30% of his character is that. And you could buy his figure. And you have no idea how weird it was reading this book <laughs> as a 13, 14-year-old, having played with those figures, having you know collected all those figures, and being like, this is weird. This is very strange. Because there's nothing on this book that says, like, maybe not for people under 10 or whatever. Mm. There's nothing on here. No. There's no rating, okay? No. And they didn't promote it as that, you know? And also, one of the things, Jake, I, so Jake, you're kind of the Star Wars. I'd like to throw one thing at you, okay? Okay. Describe the tone of this book compared to Empire Strikes Back and Return of Jedi. Because here's Ooh. the thing. Once again, what this book is supposed to do is bridge. It's bridge them, yeah. Okay? So, like, I can see where Star Wars goes to Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back is a little darker, but I can see where the tone is the same. Mm. And I can see where Empire Strikes Back goes to Return of the Jedi. Mm. But this is supposed to be right in the middle of that. Mm. So, tonally... Where, where how, how are you feeling? Okay. So, if, if you had never, if you had, if you had seen Empire Strikes Back and literally just picked this book up <laughs> and then had returned the Jedi after it, okay, how would you feel at that point? Um, angry and confused for one, um, be, especially following up Empire Strikes Back with this book is, I, 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 I didn't think about that until this moment. I don't like doing that. Yeah, I don't like thinking about doing that. Um, because I, I did keep thinking more of the – I thought less of Empire Strikes Back, and I thought more of this is what we are fixing in Return of the Jedi kind of aspect. But you're you're not wrong because, the, the, one, the tone is all over the place um, because there are – you do have, like, these weird moments where, you know, you go from, like, Zizor, like, at one point apparently ruined this one man's, like, entire life. So much so that that man killed himself, mm-hmm. and then his son is attempting to take revenge on him in an alley, and literally three chapters later, Lando can't make stew. Yeah, exactly. like and, like that's right. literally right. Exactly. the yeah, like that's literally the tonal shift that you have to deal with in this book. Um, also, speaking of tonal shifts, halfway through this book, they I. Maybe it was just me, but it feels like Princess Leia is stuck on Rhodia and is really upset that she is stuck on Rhodia for, I'm going to say, at least 80 pages. Yeah. Because they're stuck on this gambling planet, and they're trying to get the Black Sun, mm-hmm. and Princess Leia, just every chapter, just she is more upset that she is stuck there. And meanwhile, Lando is trying to like gamble and everything and get different connections, and, and nothing is happening for like 80 pages. Um, I, I felt like it was it was like an anime, and this was the arc I was told to skip. Like that's that's kind of what I felt was happening. That's a good way to describe um, it. But yeah, yeah. So no, the, the the total the total shift is just all over the place. It just it just is. But but yeah, no. It's it is a very odd, very very odd book. Um, that I really I I cannot explain to you for for those of you who have loved the EU or EU review, which once again, we appreciate and love the support. Um, I cannot explain to you the jarring um, 
effect of reading Lost Stars by Claudia Gray and just having a a lovely discussion of, you know, character development, um, you know, and what what the effects of war really have on, on on the galaxy with Al to switching to this book. Um, which is just, it, it just, it's bad. It's just bad. Um, but on that note, I do want to ask Al, because Al, I'm curious, and I'm sorry, I, I know I'm, I'm technically giving you the hard question, but in hindsight, without, you know, everything else that we have had in the, in whether it's the, the sequel trilogy, any of the other books following it, just thinking of just the original, just around this era in 1996, without f- doing further books after this, would this book have hurt Princess Leia's legacy as a character? With her, with not even just in the events that happened to her, but primarily with her internal monologue and the, we'll go with subpar writing of, of Steve Perry as as generous as I can. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, <clears throat> well, that is quite the question. Um, and, um, I do just have to say real quick, um, I was really intrigued while Josh was talking. So, um, um, I looked up an image of Dash Rendar's outrider. Um, and like, it's kind of incredible cause it just kind of looks like someone started to draw, the, someone started to draw the Millennium Falcon and then changed their mind 60% of the way through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But they were just like, oh, I've already spent an hour on this. I need to keep what I've already done. And so, <laughs> and so they decided, oh, well, let's just kind of, let's just kind of add like this, this penis shaped thing on the end. And we'll. Right. No, exactly. That's what I was saying. <laughs> and like the thing that it's funny, Al, because I promise you, this is the honest truth. There was never, I, I did not get that for Christmas, and there was never a point. I saw it on shelves all the time. I would save up, you know, you know, weeks of allowance to go and buy, you know, uh, like the ATST. Never once did I even consider buying that thing. I was like, oh, the stupidest looking ship. And if your ship can't pass the muster of a 13-year-old, you're probably doing something wrong. <laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, but, um, <laughs> no, to get back to your question, Jacob, um, um, I did just have to talk about that, though, for anybody who doesn't have the visual means right now to look up a picture of that. Um, um, yeah, so there is, for anybody out there who doesn't know, there's a s- subreddit called, um, it's called like r slash um, how, it's called like r slash how and right women um, or something along those lines. <laughs> um, it's great. If, if y'all out there, if you ever have like a half an hour to kill, um, try out that subreddit. Um, it's incredible. But um, it's basically just various examples um, in books of how male authors tend to write female characters. Um, and like a lot of it is like is focused on like um, their bodies and like trying to f- force sex appeal and and sexual conversations into the paragraphs of the book where they don't really belong. Um, and it's about like you know 
uh, playing on on the stereotypes of female characters of them being like very like fleety and like very um um <laughs> i'm just very like classic stereotypes of female characters and stuff like like complaining about like um the conditions of the situation they're in and and just being like ah these these two x chromosomes just like aren't enough to like keep me cool in this hot place we're in and things like that um it's great i'm convinced steve perry is on that subreddit somewhere <laughs> somewhere either his works or like him on there like unironically and it's just like oh man this is good stuff i gotta <laughs> i gotta write all this down um because yeah his his characterization of princess Leia especially um he does a really bad job characterizing all the other characters too but um his characterization of Leia specifically is like character assassination in a lot of ways. And it's really a shame that he, that he does this. Um, it would be a shame regardless of who he did this to, but it's really a shame. It's accentuated even more because it's a character assassination of one of the most significant female protagonists, like in, in modern day fiction um and so like so you have um as josh said you know you're going from empire strikes back right uh you are going from like arguably the best hi-fi film ever made um in which we see a uh, um having already been established as a strong female character she's a leader she shows courage. She faces down Darth Vader himself in our first introduction to her in um, in A New Hope. Um, she's she's absolutely tenacious about trying to lead the Rebel Alliance, about trying to overthrow the Empire. Um, she she's courageous, but she's also very loyal to her friends as well. She's very devoted to Han, very devoted to Luke, um, in like positive, healthy ways. <laughs> and she's just an incredible, incredible character. And then we get to Shadows of the Empire, where Steve Perry writes her to where the only, like, <laughs> Prince Zizor ranks number one at the top as far as characters who like are constantly thinking about sex but the way she's written Aya is is like right there beside him because almost every time she has an internal thought she's either complaining about where she is so like sh she's complaining about being at the casino where she's like, um, as you said, she's like complaining about like the cooking that Lando was doing, or, or whatever it might be. Um, she, she's either complaining about things, or she's also thinking about sex with one of the male characters at some point because she has this really, this really weird thing where even before Zizor is even in the picture, pretty much every time 
we have a character perspective switch to Princess Leia. She has a she has a whole paragraph where she's just like, "Ah, I miss Han, but what do I feel about Luke too? He's also a man, and I'm a woman." Can I make it any more obvious? <laughs> and so, and you just get the feeling that, like, wow, she is just, like, really, she is down bad. And, like, this is the first time I've ever thought of Leia in that way for a second. Like, that is not a Zoomer phrase that I would have ascribed to her character at any point. But here we are. Because, like, she can't think about like it's so it's so strange because like the thing with Zizor eventually devolves into her own internal monologue which is like apparently Princess Leia's like internal voice like her self-talk voice is like the stereotypical sassy gay friend in the 90s um, I don't know if you if y'all noticed that or not, but that's what the vibe I got from it. Like her internal monologue could have easily passed as like one of the OG guys on Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, um, and like, and it devolves into this whole deal of of she's just like, no, I can't be attracted to Zizor because I love Han. I'm devoted to him, or am I? And it's set up to be like, oh, wow, these pheromones that Zizor is giving off are really strong. But, like, you're also just like, she's had this weird conversation with herself 18 times up to this point about Luke. And we don't know why. <laughs> and, like, I understand war is tough and war does things to people. But every <laughs> everything out of her mouth and everything in her head feels so contrarian. To who she is as a character to who she's been established to be right and so we have this situation where like uh for sure the things that happen when she interacts with zizor are like repulsive and awful like sure that's that's understood like yeah that is like a horrible thing but like the the trail of breadcrumbs leading up to that is there throughout the book anyway, um, because she's constantly having this internal struggle of just like I really have to rescue Han, but after I do, should I also like make out with Luke again? And it's just so absurd and so insane and so like I've been, I guess I've been kind of privileged in a way because like i don't want to say that like i only read good books because that's not true i've read like a lot of bad books but like i guess it's been a while since i've read a book whose depiction of female characters feels as entrenched in the 90s as this one does um because man like i mean to answer your question like i've I almost feel like for me personally, her image is like a little bit tainted already because even though we have all of these incredible stories about her, still, now whenever I think about Princess Leia in the very back of my mind, um, hopefully also with like a stereotypical sassy 
hey, best friend voice as well, um, <laughs> is going to be saying, yeah, but like, remember that story where she was just like really horny for everybody around her? And I'm just going to be like, no, no stop, <laughs> weird, sassy, gay voice in the back of my head. I don't want to think about that. And this exchange I've just had sounds like something Steve Perry wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I could have ripped that off the page and you'd have been none the wiser. But um, yeah, I mean, just like that's honestly like probably the worst thing this book does is that it it's so totally deteriorates the um, the positive image that we have of Leia um, up to this point. And like, I'm very glad that like, you know, there's way more positive and good stories about her than there are bad. But um, this one's a whopper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I'm i I'm so glad you brought up the uh, the internal monologue because, like, it's it sounded like the worst version of, like, the muses from Hercules. <laughs> like, that, which I never, which, once again, I love them, but I did not expect them to be Princess Leia's internal monologue. Also, I did not expect them to be like asking her if she was going to get with Prince Zizor. Um because there is a point where where she says, I don't need this. And then the internal monologue says, Maybe not, sister, but you have it. And I just I don't I do not I d I don't know I don't know what this is for. I, I don't know who this it's is. Like for. The worst, it's like the worst line that they're right. Maybe not, sister, but you, but you have it. I mean, like, seriously, like, like, can you imagine, can, I mean, can, before reading that, would you ever imagine that coming out of Princess Leia's mouth? Like, I, like, like you processes, okay? Here, yeah. Here's the thing. It's like, it's, it's like, I'm sorry, but this comparison just came to mind. No, no, you're fine. Go ahead. It's like, <laughs> it's, um, it's like if, it's like every time Joss Whedon tries to write for a black character, like it's like that. <laughs> Steve Perry's just like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is what a black person sounds like. I've never heard them, but I'm pretty sure that's what that's what this sounds like. Oh man, it's like that line sounds like Saturday Night Live making fun of a Tyler Perry movie. It it do, no, it absolutely does. Yeah, it's no, like, it, it's, it here, okay. It sounds like it, okay. It literally. You're you're not wrong because it reminded me of uh, of the um, the white people soulful Christmas mu- movie, right? Exactly. Where, no, where it's uh, where where so, uh, it's like BET says, "Can we not have anything?" Exactly. And um, <laughs> it's Bobby Moynihan as like the the pastor right. or whatever, <laughs> and that's that's what it sounds like. Okay, so yeah, no, I I could not stand her representation in this, if you could even call it that. Um, I was not a fan of. I gotta that. give you. I've, I've got to cut in and and art and and complain about another thing real quick. Okay. And I know we're gonna involving Princess Leia. Involving or, okay, because that's okay. Because we are getting to others, I promise. Because the 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 worst the worst grouping of pages in this book is the seduction scene. Sure. Which, by the way, has its own track in the... Yes, on yes the, it does. On the, <laughs> on the soundtrack. So, like, that's the scene that they that they spend... A, like, that's Steve Perry trying his hardest, just yeah. so you know. Like, they, they wanted that scene to work. And my main issue with that scene 
is something that I have issues with both the Wonder Woman movies and, you know, a lot of these movies is that you put these women in these situations and you don't even have the guts to let them get out of it themselves because Chewbacca has to save yeah. her from that scene, which, once again, I love Chewbacca. I think it's great. But Chewbacca should not be the bastion of wisdom in that scene, That's in my true. opinion. <laughs> you know, like at some point, Leia, because here's the thing. I'm not saying you could make this work you because you can't. What I was talking about, you can't make it work. You can't make the internal monologue work. Mm. The fact that she's like, I don't know, maybe there's something there for Luke. You know, I know what he's trying to do is be like, you know, like add that foreshadowing of them being brother and sister. Mm. You know, she doesn't understand her feelings because she's never had a brother. So you know how that feels. Okay. That's what he's trying to do. Still comes off really weird. It does. Yes. You can have all that, I guess. Okay. But you have to have her make the definitive moment to step out of that. Mm. And they don't even give you that. Chewbacca has to do it, and then she has to have a, like an entire page. Where she's like, "I'm so sorry, Han." For a, you know, it's just like, "Oh my lord, this is like the worst thing that you could have done to a character that is you know universally beloved, sure. you know, and uh, is a really a close to flawless representation of how to write, you know, female protagonists in in literature, mm-hmm. and like, and you've just like just screwed it up to such an extent, you know." Um, yeah, I just I, ha- I have to complain about that because they put her in the situation. And she just doesn't. Need, she's not even the one to get herself out of it. No, you're you're absolutely correct because like one of the things I was thinking, I kept thinking about while reading this is that by all technical reference, the current Star Wars comic books uh, that are being written right now are set between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Yeah, they are effectively the new canon version of what is suppo- what this is supposed to be representing. Hey, I want to point out real quick, this is canon. We're gonna we're gonna come to the end of this and we're gonna decide like if this is our personal canon. But it doesn't matter because in because before Disney, this was canon. This was canon. It, I'm just saying. Um, and I am I am very happy that Charles Soule, Alyssa Wong, uh, Greg Pak, and Ethan Sachs have oh, all. Man, I want give me give me Disney you, ruined it. You you want more of this? I want more is that of this. what you want? Um, because Leia in War of the Bounty Hunters and Crimson Rain and everything else that's going on the last year and a half or so has been a fantastic, very headstrong character who is very much uh, capable of handling herself in any kind of situation she gets put in. Um, very different from what we see in here, uh, because you, you are correct. Chewbacca has to save her from the Prince Zizor seduction scene, which I, I, I hate everything about the, everything I just said. Um, but you did mention there is also, there is a song for it on the soundtrack, mm-hmm. which I would like to go ahead before we continue and mention that the soundtrack on Spotify is actually really good. Yeah. Um, like it's annoyingly good. Um, it's very well done. It's by Joey McNeely. I think is his yeah. name. Somebody went real hard yeah. on this thing. Like, and, um, and he was, uh, John Williams was a consultant on it. Yes. Um, on this and on the, uh, the version of it that appears in uh, the N64 game as well. I would say if there's one thing that tracks between Empire Strikes Back, this, and Return of the Jedi, it is that soundtrack. Yeah. It's the only thing that you can be like, wow, that sounds like Star Wars. It, yeah, and it does, and it does very, it flows very well. Yeah. It carries over very well. Even, even, I, as much as I hate it, even the seduction song does, it does sound good, but it's just, you just have to hope that it's named something else, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, that uh, Josh, that does lead to to my next question for you. Um, why is Dash Rendar 
in this book. <laughs> what, what, what is Jack? <laughs> like, it's it, like because because here's the thing: you have to understand when you when you talk about you had those toys growing up. That also means about all technical reference. Before I'd even seen the movies, I held action figures of Dash Rendar and Prince Zizor in my hands at yeah, one point. Okay, I have bought the I have rebought them since then because Lord Actually, knows I bought you Dash Rendar. Okay, so yes, you bought me Dak Rendar, I had to make sure you, you know, because for for Christmas one year, That's an important figure it, it, it was very, it's a very important, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a very important figure to have. Okay, um, you made sure that I had these, or and and I had played with them when I was a child, and I remember like asking you like, "Gosh, who is this?" And then you were like, "That's Prince Zuzor," and then I was like, "Gosh, who is this?" You were like, "That's Dak Rendar." Okay, like I remember you telling me about these characters. I have never read this book. So, and I did not know why they were never made official, like new canon or anything. So I had no context for anything they do in this storyline. Okay. So when we get to Dash Rendar, imagine my confusion when he is literally just Han Solo, but exceptionally worse. Yeah. Uh, so and, I'm going to stop right there. Yeah. Go, go, okay, please. So go ahead. ahead. He is, uh, the, I am not going to solely the good name of Han Solo. Fair. But here's the thing. <laughs> Steve Perry was commissioned um, to add a Han Solo-like character. In my opinion, the main reason was, uh, and you can look when you, you can look back on on what they were trying to do here with the video game. He is the main character in the video game, mm. and he's also the he's like I loved that character before I read this book because he's the coolest action figure. Like he has that he has that gun with that backpack that flips over, that yeah. flips over, so the gun flips over in his hand. He also has that weird snub pistol, yeah. You know, like it's he, he's his his design is cool. He's in that he's in so like you know particularly with Star Wars, one of the issues um, with a lot of the figures after a while is that you know it's like how many times can you buy somebody an X wing's uniform? Sure, because Wedge is an X wing uniform. You know, um, Luke Luke is an X wing. Dak is in an X wing uniform. Jack Porkins is in an X wing. Absolutely, he is. So like. That hero. But Dash Dash has this, like, real cool purple suit. You know, he just looks cool. And then, like, so here's my – I'm just going to do this. This is my favorite interaction with Dash. Okay. Okay. Because I don't even know how this is a brag. <laughs> so they're going to do the – the uh, they're going to do the Bothan scene. Okay. okay. So for, if you all don't know, this book literally exists because Mon Mothma – says many Bothans died to bring us this information, okay? They built the entire book off of that. And that's the middle of the book. That's the thing that happens in the book. And um, they're going to go do that. And Dash Rendar goes like, he's like, all right, you know, I'll I'll, I'll fly off you. Because Dash Rendar, excuse me, Dash Rendar's been hired by Princess Leia to be Luke's bodyguard. So the first time he shows up, uh, Luke is facing some swoop riders. Dash shows up and just kills them real quickly. And then Luke's like, I could have handled that myself, which is very unlike Luke. And then, like, and you just kind of go on with it or whatever. And then, like, you know. And so then Dash is just hanging out with Luke. And so Luke and Dash's dynamic is literally just Dash will say something, and then Luke will have a paragraph where he's like, I cannot believe this guy's so arrogant. Do, do, do. Like, yeah, that's, that's the, it's over and over and over yep. again. Okay. My favorite example of this, though, because, like, I'm convinced they, that that's, uh, that the editor was like, we need to go and take that out because that didn't make any sense. 
They're going to go do the Bothan thing. They're going to raid the starship or whatever. Dash is like, I want to get something to eat. Luke's like, we don't have time to eat. And Dash goes, maybe you don't, but I can eat and fly at the same time. <laughs> Scene. <laughs> and I have no clue. Like, I, I have no idea. Like, what, like, what I was reading is I started laughing again because I was like, I was like, so at some point, because like, because you just imagine, you just imagine Steve Perry with a whiteboard and he's like, what will the cool guy say now? Well, I can eat and fly at the same time. That's a cool thing for a pilot bounty hunter to say, right? Put that in there. And then, of course, Luke, can't believe how arrogant this guy is. He's going to get us all killed one of these days, you know? And under, look, and here's the thing. There's going to be, it, it, I don't know, I don't I don't know if, like, this is the podcast is going to go viral. And, like, also we're going to have, like, 100,000 uh, Shadows Empire fans are going to want to defend this. Please. And, I, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. If, if that is the case, okay, all right, I, I understand what they're trying to do there. Because, of course, the Bothan thing, you know, they, they frame it as Luke being over, over uh, being arrogant about his abilities to send code. Sure. Okay. Um, which I'm not real comfortable with either, but whatever. Okay. But like, so I understand like there's the irony there of like, you know, Luke called guy arrogant. Maybe Luke's really the arrogant one. Then I get that. Whoa. But like, oh my Lord, it's a, it's a noxious after a while. Um, Dash is just, he's just a bad character all the way through. He, he's such a static character. He has, he's, he's one note and his one note is literally, I am better than you. He's literally topper from Dilbert, you know, just like, you know, this, this over and over and over again. Just that guy who's like, who, where you would be like, you know, I mean, because I, I can't, so like the first time you meet Dash is after Luke has built the lightsaber. And rereading this book, I would have assumed that like, he'd <laughs> see so Luke's lightsaber, but, oh yeah, I've built like seven of those. You know, it's really not that hard to do. You know, like, I've done like, you know, I've, I've built like seven of those. You know, I've got like several of them on my Outrider here, you know, and like, it's, it's just, over and over and over again, he's just the worst character. Oh, if you want one, I could have just given you one of these, you know, my bad. Just give me one, yeah, I didn't know, yeah. And like he, but he's written as, but then the problem is, so like, when you write Han Solo that way, okay, mm. you have a situation in Empire where part of the part of the character development of Han Solo is, you know, he's a guy who thinks he knows everything. You know, even Leia says, you know, uh, you're gonna be wrong one of these days, and someday I'm hope I'm, I'm there to see it. Okay, and the irony there is that she is because he goes to Bespin, he miscalculates everything. You know, and it's it's bad situation. You don't ever have that with Dash, except at the end, where he gets blown up, and then you have Luke being like, "I just can't believe Dash is gone, man." I'm just like, "What are you talking about? You can't believe Dash is gone. You wanted him gone the whole book, you know? Like, what? What are you talking? Like, so it's actually even funnier because so the Bothans die because Dash can't shoot the missile, right? That's going to kill them. Right. Okay, you go the entire book, or Dash has a moment where he's like, I couldn't have missed, I couldn't have, okay? So then you have this entire, <clears throat> this entire character arc, I'm using air quotes on that, where he is attempting to make up for that, basically, right. okay? Then at the end, after he and the Millennium Falcon are getting away, just randomly out of nowhere, he gets just obliterated by a piece of the sky hook, a Zizor sky hook, apparently. Yeah. Okay. And then, like. It's like a final destination death. It, it, it is. And then, like, the next paragraph is this random ass, like, rebellion guy, this like, rebellion messenger going up to Luke and being like, uh, or 
I, oh no, it's Wedge. Okay, excuse me, it's Wedge. Yeah, it's okay, okay. it's not a random person. Like, my bad. Yeah. It's or, Wedge Antilles. Wedge might as well be random in this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's that's how bad this book was. Um, Wedge comes up to him and is like, "Hey, the uh, the Bothans said that apparently they were using like this new missile that had like repulsors." or something that stopped any of the blasters hitting it. So Dash never missed. It wasn't his fault. And it's such a weird thing. And then Luke is like, to think that, that you would die no, thinking that you failed, only to never find out that you were actually the hero, or whatever. It's, it's, such such a, a, it's, it's a weird, like... Like, I, I don't even know what to do with it, honestly. Like, I, I don't even know... I, I don't even... I, I cannot come up with a reasoning... Why that would be a moral of this book? I cannot, I cannot come over <laughs> reason, you know, because it, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. Al, did we, did we miss something? Did, did you, did you like Dash, or was there any kind of moment where you were like, yeah, this character might work? Okay, well, I was about to, <laughs> I was just about to jump in. So with, uh, with Dash Rendar, uh, first and foremost, I was really frustrated with that ending of his character arc. Um, and, um, spoiler alert for other, like, EU stuff, um, if anybody cares, um, uh, that is not the end of Dash Rendar, but, um, anyway, um, because, like, the impact and, like, the actual, like, transformative arc uh, for Dash Rendar like, it still wouldn't have been great, but, like, it would have made so much more sense and been so much more impactful if he actually had just missed, like, and, like, he did, like, actually have to, like, live with, like, the guilt of that and struggle to overcome it. Like, it's kind of, <laughs> it was really frustrating to me because by the end of it, I was like trying to like index things I liked about the book versus things I did not like about the book. And one of them was actually like, well, I guess it was like kind of cool to see like Dash be like this very arrogant, like over the top kind of guy to be like brought down by such a grounded like um, mortality of war that he feels a responsibility for. And so he struggles to overcome that and kind of redeem himself um, from that screw up that um, he's responsible for. That's kind of cool. Like I do kind of like that. And then we get the line that's just like, "Well, actually, that missile was impossible to destroy. I don't know why they, I don't know why they never use that technology again. But <laughs> actually, it's fine. He was right the whole time. I was just like, well." Shit, man! Like that would have been that would have been a whole lot cooler if he had just messed up. Like, <laughs> um, I don't know about a whole lot cooler, but like somewhat cooler if he had actually like been responsible and he had to struggle against that. So like completely like undermines any kind of actual um, character growth or interesting character development that he would have had there. But um, yeah, so like. Um, I'll tell you all this right now. Um, you guys have been talking about, like, um, your action figures and things like that. Um, I never really had action figures as a kid. But before going into Shadows of the Empire, I did know about Dash Rendar. And that is because um, I had unlocked Dash Rendar in a little um, video game called Star Wars um, 
Heroes of the Galaxy or Galactic Heroes or yeah, um, the g- 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 name on your phones. Um, you guys have phones, right? Um, <laughs> but um, I had unlocked him in that, and so uh, I had played with him some because I had like um, on like a scoundrel team that I had um, built and stuff, and he like energized with that pretty well. And so the whole time I was playing that game, I was trying to get a feel for his character, and I was just like, eh, this guy's really just like Han Solo, but worse. Um, so, like, I'm not really interested in, like, having him on my team. Um, and, and behold the beautiful poetic irony, because in reality, Dash Rendar was set up to be just like Han Solo, but actually way better. Uh, <laughs> and I thought that was kind of fun. But, um, yeah, overall, I was kind of unimpressed uh, with Dash. I'm kind of with you, Jacob, where it's just kind of like, I don't really know why he needed to be in this story. I felt like things could have been expedited by, like, not trying to introduce a brand new character. But Once again, it's to sell stuff. Because yeah. the, they weren't going to, the thing was that they weren't going to do a video game where... Uh, Luke was the hero because you have things Luke has to do and you can't put him in situations you know pretty much his arc yeah. okay? so you can't do that but if you have a new character you can do whatever you want with him so I mean that's why I mean that, that's his entire purpose you know is to you know is to be that guy whether that's a good idea or not you know I mean we can argue that obviously I would, uh, I would agree I tend to agree with you but that's why he's there you know I mean you need you need another figure we need another video game. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and the thing is like, he is extremely important to the, to the marketing of this book. Yeah, no, it's just, I just really could not stand Dash Rendar personally. Just, I was the entire time I was just like, God, this character's annoying. He, he is the worst. I'll give that to you. Um, it, it, it's hard. It, it's, it's hard for me because like, I, I think back to, you know, sitting in my room, you know, having all these moments with, Dash, you know, shooting out with stormtroopers and everything, uh-huh. you know, and like it's just such a disappointing character because all the way around, like he just really is. He doesn't. Um, he doesn't even use the coolest gun that he has. He doesn't. You know, yeah. the action well, boys. I mean, he's a, a like he's essentially he's an anime character. Like he's just like a guy who shows up and and he just like is the best at everything he needs to do. And all the other characters are just like, oh, whoa, how did you do that, Dash? And Dash is just like, oh, because I'm the man. And I'm like, <laughs> just like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's that's all we know about him. But, um, yeah, he's like, he's an anime character. That's, that's basically what he is. Yeah, I just, yeah. Um, you know, Josh, you brought up something very important about the back of this book. Um, because for those of you who do not know, you need to look up the, the cover photo for Shadows of the Empire by Drew Struzan, who you may know is doing all the other Star Wars posters, um, at least for the prequel trilogy and for the 1997 re-releases. Um, he's a very prominent Star Wars artist. He's great. Um, Boba Fett is on the back of this book, okay? And Boba Fett yeah, is... He is. <laughs> nowhere in this book no he's not he is just absent entirely now i would later learn where he shows up but josh i'm curious why do you think they chose to leave boba fett out of this 
Um, so, well, so Boba Fett has a really, uh, his, his expanding universe presence is really strange. Um, you've already discussed this and his, uh, extreme, like ultra evangelical, uh, the, 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 the dare, the yeah, dare officer. Yeah, exactly. Um, doesn't, isn't he, doesn't he like kill prostitutes or something like that at some point? Uh, he sets one of them on fire. Yes. Yeah. So like, you've got like, you know, it, it's a weird, his, his entire thing is weird and no one author knows what to do with him uh, more than the other and that's because there's nothing to draw from with him um as far as like uh his character because there's nothing to draw from um when it comes to uh when it comes to uh um uh like what he does in the original trilogy mm. there you know he doesn't have any character moments um, he's literally a guy that succeeds off of just like mystique and look. And so I'm not worried with the fact that he's not in this book. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of like the, um, it's kind of like the Plinkett thing where like Plinkett's trying to figure out things he likes about uh, Revenge of the Sith. Uh -huh. And he's like, Han Solo's not ruined in, by this movie, you know, because he's like, <laughs> you know, that it would have been very easy for him to have like a little Han Solo running around. And then like Obi-Wan be like, Baby Han Solo, here's baby Luke and Leia. You know, like they would have made an action figure, you know, things like that. Like it would have been really easy for them to do that. Very similar here. It would have been very easy for them to do that. Because here's the thing. They have a they have a another dual pack action figure that they I do. never got, which is Boba Fett and IG-88 um, uh, fighting out, fighting it out. And I think he's the he's in the comic, right? So I was going to ask that. Did have either of you ever seen or read anything about the comic? I mean, I know about Bix. Or, or Gix. Gix. Yeah, Gix. Yeah, Gix. Al, do you know anything about the comic? Um, I do not. I've I've tried to get my hands on it, and I've been unsuccessful. So, so it's 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 not worth it. Um, but it is predominantly here's what Boba Fett was up to all this time. Okay, like you have certain like moments from the main story. Um. Just to like clarify, I guess add visuals. Like you do have Luke building the lightsaber, fighting the swoop gang with because Gix is there. Um, Gix is apparently Darth Vader's right hand man who is attempting to save Luke at every turn because he knows that Zizor is trying to kill him. Um, don't know why Darth Vader doesn't just go and just kill Zizor at that point, but you know whatever. That's not where this book goes. Um, but what's interesting is that Boba Fett, the entire time in this, is he keeps getting her basically like harassed and cornered by all the other bounty hunters from Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. So yes, my boy Bosk is there, mm -hmm. um, because of course he is. Um, Forlom is there. Zuckus is there. Dengar is absent from from what I can remember. Um, however, IG-88 is the big one, because IG-88 is the one that he has the big showdown with, which is why he has a two-pack. Um, it does have a very funny moment, um, for him, where effectively, I, I, I swear to you, like, I, I didn't really get this Robot Chicken joke when I first watched it, but I'm convinced that Brecken Meyer, in the Robot Chicken, uh, episode, Star Wars episode, when he does the Boba Fett talking to Han Solo seductively, um, and, and when he's frozen in carbonite, I, d I'm convinced now that he is handling Boba Fett in the Shadows of the Empire comic book. Um, because like, it's not like, it's not one-to-one -one of the things he says, but it's not as far off as you might think. 
Um, it's it's weird how much he talks to Han Solo and Carbonite. Um, it's it's very odd. And once again, I the more I read more of these things from the nineties, um, which I do want to talk a little bit about that here in just a second. Um, the more I'm beginning to understand. Mm-hmm. How Disney saved Star Wars. Yeah, there Star Wars. we are. There we are. Yes, there we are. Standing over. We're here, guys. We, we, we're here. We're because here. Because there, there is a clear, there is a clear drop in quality from the books. Um, because Del Rey publishes the first three novelizations of the the first the original trilogy, uh, and a few of the books that they did as extras, and then Bantam Spectra takes over. Um, in roughly 86, 87, and then publishes everything until Vector Prime in 98 by R.I. Salvatore, which is, as you have said before, when they started getting like actual like science fiction and fantasy yeah, writers. Yeah, one to... of the things that, that I, have to, I have to enumerate here is that, and, and here's the thing, I say this about the Air of the Empire trilogy too, is that none of the writers, one of the things I think Disney did really good and i and i would say it really changes during the calm War stuff they're putting out of uh, like james Lucino and guys like that yeah. these are guys that when they became writers they were like i want to write a star wars book sure steve perry was like i want to write stuff yeah and so give me alien i'll do a tom clancy book i'll do the street fighter animated series you know <laughs> so on and so forth okay? okay yeah you know and therein lies a difference and and that's why i think you have these like clunky moments in this Mm. Um, you know, because it, man, it's just, you know, it's just, some of this is bad. It's just yeah. so bad. <laughs> like, and it's, it, it is a, it is a big difference just in call. It, it just is. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like I, I've, there are mo- multiple books I'm excited to read going forward of the pre Disney stuff, but it is a. The Bantam Spectre stuff is stuff that I'm not necessarily looking forward to, except for the – I am looking forward to the Thrawn trilogy. For those of you who don't, who don't know, if you have not heard this before, I, Jacob Vance Harsty, massive Star Wars fan, have never actually read the Thrawn trilogy, um, and we are going to fix that on this show. Um, and I am excited to read those. But, uh, yeah, I just – I am curious because you brought it up. But I'm curious about Al's thoughts. Al, what do you think about Darth Vader in this book? Um, I don't think Vader is in this book until the moment he <laughs> until the moment he kills Zizor. Fair. That is uh, <laughs> yeah. him killing Zizor is the only Vader-esque thing pretty much that he does um in the entire book. Like um yeah, I kind of want to like retread anything that um you guys have already talked about or anything, but, um, yeah, like, again, so contrary to what has been established about Vader is that, like, Vader has been established as a imposing villain who does not need to do a whole lot to, to have his presence be felt in a given scene, right? Um... Um, everybody always t- 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 talks about, I mean, in A New Hope, Vader is in it for like a very small fraction of the entire f- of the entire screen time. Um, um, he has um, a lot more screen time on Empire Strikes Back, but even then, 
we see him just kind of impose his will and his presence like um uh, by what he does um and that's how we learn about his character um like vader in this book vader probably has like 10 times more lines in this one book as he does in the entire original trilogy like the vader talks so much in shadows of the empire and he's never done that before like even in the like new canon scenes like he has some scenes like um in star wars Rebels, where like he um he talks a bit more um he drops some great lines in that show but um even in those where he's like a little bit more like eloquent um and talking about things like even then like he's like in the shadows of the empire he's just like a chatty kathy and like and darth vader again is somebody who speaks usually so sparingly that when he speaks so many of his lines carry so much weight and gravitas that that's why so many of his lines are so well known i mean majority of everything vader says is iconic because he carries such weight with what he says um he speaks again like 10 times as much as he does in this book as like in the entire original trilogy right now i cannot tell you a single specific thing he says um and that and i think if you're having darth vader interact with so many characters at such a crucial time point for his character development in the state of the empire um and i can't recall a quote that he has in the entire book i think you don't really understand who Vader is and what he's supposed to bring t- to a scene that he's in. Um, that's really all I have to say about Vader. Yeah, no, I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head because I'm, I'm kind of with you. The, the one thing that I just, the, the one thing that I, I think of when, when I think of Vader in this is there's a weird, very small paragraph. And when I say a small paragraph, I mean, we are talking five lines of 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 words and it is a officer comes to him and says sir we are almost to uh whatever planet luke is on where he's captured by the bounty hunters and then he then vader says thank you admiral and then has an internal monologue where he goes i'm coming son and then it just cuts it's such a weird like interjection which is such a weird way that steve perry writes but we it's we have said that to death. Um, yeah, well, I mean, and like an even better example of that, like, is like, there's a point that's so, it's so on the nose um, um what you're talking about, of these like weird interjections and weird transitions, is um, at the end of one of the chapters, um, kind of late into the book, um, Prince, Princess Leia can feel Luke's presence um, on Coruscant because they're about to go into the sewers. And that chapter literally ends with Prince Leia and her like internal monologue saying, things were about to happen, which is not 
really as on the nose as you want to be when you get into the climax of your book. But sure. it literally ends with things are about to happen. Things are about to happen. And then yeah. the next chapter starts with Lando Calrissian slipping and falling into space poop. <laughs> and then <laughs> laughing about it for three paragraphs. And you're just sitting there just kind of like, I, I guess things are about to happen. I guess. <laughs> Uh, I kind of wish they would. But. All right. So as we are closing out. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold oh, on, hold on. Oh. I promise you a piece of information that will inspire a future EURU. Oh, dear. The first time the martial arts form Tereshkasi is ever mentioned is in this book. Is it really? Mm hmm. Is, yeah. is it when Zizor is it what Zizor uses? It, is that no? It's when he's talking about those two uh, twin fighters, and Guri's like, "What do you think of them?" Oh. And he's like, "They're masters of Terrace Kasi," and that and and I just feel like now that you know that you have you guys both have to get. And, oh, and no, God, no, 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 let me tell you, no, it's not, dude. It's a fa it's, it's like one of the best fighting games ever. No, it is not. It's one of the best fighting games in history. Is Masters of Terrace Kasi for the PlayStation. I, I didn't know if it is it is I didn't know if the a, game had already come out. Like I said, I, I know such yeah. A good good game, Jake. Like I, I don't know if we will ever cover oh, Masters it's such of Terrace Kasi. Um, it's so good. It's so good. Particularly the 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 starring character, the Tuscan Raider or however you say his name. Yeah. Um, he's really good in the game. He I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's great. <laughs> the, the I just love that because like you know, they couldn't call it Star Wars Fighter. And so somebody was like, has a martial art ever been mentioned in, a, in anything? Yeah, like, and somebody somebody had been like, oh, I read this book, Cut Shadows of the Empire. And they call it Terrace Kasi, and they're like, fine. It's Masters of Terrace Kasi. Let's do it. You know, which is a game, Jake. Jake, you have to, because canonically, in that game, Luke is a master of Terrace Kasi, and he teaches it to Leia and Han. So they can fight in a fighting tournament. I, I, I refuse. I'm Jake. not covering this. Oh, it's so good. I am not covering oh. this. Al, you need to get on Jake for that, man. Oh, oh, I will. Yeah. I'm checking right now <laughs> yeah. how accessible this game is. Dude, exactly. is it on Steam? <laughs> oh, man. Um, as we are closing out, we, as for those of you who, if, Actually, real quick, if this is your first episode of the EU or E-Review, I'm sorry. I'm not. <laughs> I, 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 I really hope you go back to listen to something else uh, that we talked about. I hope about. this episode changed your life. I, 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 hope that, I, hope, I hope that happened, but I hope it happened in a sense of things to avoid going forward. Um, but, uh, but if you are unaware, we do have two closing questions that we always ask. And so we're going to start with Josh. Josh, what was the hypest moment for you in Shadows of the Empire? There's a scene where Prince Ezor is looking at Leia. And it tells us that his skin color goes from green to orange. And, like, doesn't tell us what that means, but it just, like, lets it sit. <laughs> let me tell you, Steve Perry... <laughs> Steve Perry, man, he know he knows subtlety. Uh, his his he he knows. What do the color changes mean, Josh? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, man. Don't Who know. knows? It's subtle. It's it is subtle, subtle and sexual, man. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there, there. In all honesty, the hypest moment of this for me is 1997 when I get all the toys. 
Sure. Uh, and so, like, th- this book, let me, th- here's the best part about this. Are y'all ready for this? When you go back and you re-listen to this, look how much we talk about the plot of this book. And here, and the reason is, is because there is no plot to this book. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, I mean, and honestly, if, if, if Al, if you were having to explain this book to somebody, what would you tell them? Um, I'd probably tell them that um, there's this prince named Zizor, um, and he's just horny and violent all the time. <laughs> um, and and sometimes our Star Wars heroes also show up in the book. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes they are horny and violent as well. Sometimes. It just kind of happens. You never know. But I mean, that's too like, often for my taste. Yeah, a little. It's, yeah, me too. And it's just, it's one of those things where you know it's it's sad because you know they're really. I mean, there's there's a lot of potential. You know, I don't know if you guys are ever going to do Splinter of the Mind's Eye or not. I've thought about it. Uh, it's it's a very similar, and uh, and what it does. Uh, in the in, in a lot, of, although it it really messes up the timeline. Well, yeah. uh, you know, if you want to get right down to it, but um, of course they didn't know any better. Like, they no didn't. One, they no didn't. One knew. <laughs> uh, but like this one here is, it's you know the hype moments. I, I will say this: for the time, I really like the idea of like how he's building the lightsaber because we had never, we didn't understand how that worked. Yeah. But then of course, Karen Gillan comes along, or Charles Soule comes along, and and really like several Star Wars Illustrated books come along and just show it give us a much cooler example of how they do it um you know because it involves like you know you know like you know like the crystals are alive and stuff like Mm -hmm. that they don't get into that um man it's just like there's just not a whole lot to grasp onto in this i like guri you know and what's funny is is uh, uh guri is the is the only character that really probably the character that most exists outside of this book because she shows up in a lot of the, the a lot of the Dark Horse comics. She gets um, her own series. She, yeah, she gets her yeah. own series and shows up in a lot of the Dark Horse comics and stuff like that. Um, so there was a lot, you know, she, you know, she's interesting, um, but you know, it's just, it's just, it's just not. There's not a whole lot there really to grasp onto. Fair. Al, what about you? Did you have a hype moment? Um, I did not. I had an anti-hype one. Um, which I'll share in a bit, but I do have something I need to do first, guys. Okay. If you'll indulge me for just a second, uh, because when we were starting up tonight, I told Jacob that I have a cursed trivia fact for him oh, about this book. Um, and it is Josh. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but I feel like if you were, you would have brought it up by now, <laughs> which makes me laugh, but um. You all, there is some controversy around Zizor. Um, now, that statement is not very surprising, but not for the reason you might s- s- suspect. So what I like to do after we finish up a book or a game or whatever it might be for uh, the show, I like to go on a little bit of a deep dive on some of the characters I thought were interesting. Um, or were there. And so I did a little bit of a deep dive on Zizor, okay? Zizor, whatever it is. Um, okay. Um, first point I found interesting 
is I love the way that um, <laughs> I love the way his entry on Wikipedia ends because um, the last sentence in his about section says as of 43.5 ABY there were still rumors among the new Jedi order that Prince Ezor was somehow alive. However, they were quickly debunked. <laughs> and I love that because that kind of tells me they were in the writer's room and they were just kind of like, hey, should we bring back Zizor? And everybody else was just like, no, no, we shouldn't. No, we should not. <laughs> no, we should not. I love that so much. Um, Jacob and Josh, what would you do if I told you that there is some controversy, some uncertainty as to whether Zizor has shown up in the new canon. Well, where would he have shown up at? Uh, he So, he is name-dropped already in Crimson Rain. Oh, is he really? Yes. Uh, I figured, well, yeah, I figured he would, but I didn't read that. Of course, since Crimson Rain's about Black Sun. It's about Black Sun and everything. Yeah. Um, well, there's there's a point where you see some... Is it fallings or failings? How, how do you say I was saying fallings. Fallings? Okay. There's a point where you see some fallings, and there's a point where they mention Prince Zizor by name. Um, and then Leia and, uh, or no, uh, Aphra has to steal, like, this necklace that one of them has, and it's it's, it's a whole thing. But anyways, uh, yeah, Zizor gets mentioned by name. So yeah, no, Zizor is canon. I yeah. will readily admit that. What if I hit you with oh. an even more, like, original source? Okay. If you will. Okay? I found this out. I had no idea about this. Josh, I want to know if you had um, or not. In episode one, The Phantom Menace, in the stands of the pod race, as they're going around, zooming about, there is a character in the stands who looks disturbingly like Prince Zizor. <laughs> I'm looking this up. I mean, here's the thing. That what here look, it it like I said, it wouldn't shock me because even even when episode one's coming out, they're still pushing shadows fairly hard. Um, and they're trying to, you know, keep that keep that alive. Um, so that wouldn't surprise me. Um, I, I would. I did not know that. No, I, I had no clue. I had no idea. Oh yeah, that's um, that's real. That's in, that's in the films, y'all. That's in the like. If we're, <laughs> if we're drawing parallels between other things, like he's not quite in like the Dead Sea Scrolls, but he's he's in like <laughs> he's in the Apocrypha. Like he's he's <laughs> he's up there. <laughs> He is in the apocrypha. I love that. I mean, he's more at this point. He's he's as he's as canon as Afra is. Then, well, yeah, that I, I I hate that. Yeah, how'd you like that, Jacob? <laughs> that I, I hate that a lot. Um, I don't know. Anyway, back to your question. I just wanted to share um, that cursed fact. Yes, no, that's I'm glad. Um, anyway, I do have an anti-hype moment. Because out of all the gross things that happen in this book, this part grossed me the most. Um, so I'm glad Josh brought up um, the character of G -G -G Curry. Because G -G Curry is fascinating to me. 
Um, so we learn over the course of the book that she is a droid, or at least a droid-like creature. She was assembled inorganically. Um, she was created, and we learned that um, um, Ando Calrissian had heard that, like, um, the project that spawned her was, like, happened, like, ten years ago or so. So we can assume that, at most, um, Curry is ten years old. Okay. Um, we are led to believe for a while that she is just like a completely subservient droid. Um, we're led to believe that. Um, she just kind of follows the orders of, of whoever bought her, who in this case um, is Zizor. We learn rather disgustingly while Zizor is taking a bath that sometimes he asks her to join him because in his horrific words, um, she is female in all appearances. Exactly. Even in that way. Right? Yeah. So I, hold on real quick. I told Jake that was coming. Jake's like, I don't think that's in the book or not. So did you, did you, did you read did, that part? Okay, good. There, all, right. Yes. all right. <laughs> um, so tried, that's pretty you, awful. Right after Ringo. That's pretty, it's pretty awful. It's pretty horrible. Then what makes that whole situation so much worse is towards the end of the book where um, she fights Luke Skywalker. Um, she starts to kick his ass until he kind of gives himself over to the force, which apparently um, in the old canon, according to this book, is like the speed force that the Flash uses. Um, and so, um, he beats her, he's about, um, to kill her, and then you find out, oh, she has, like, will and desire, and is, like, a person. She has all the indications of, like, having a soul, as much as we've ever seen a droid-esque creature have, and it all comes crashing down, to where it's just like, huh, okay. Well, every scene with her and Zizor kind of changes now. That's pretty <laughs> awful. <laughs> because it goes from, oh, Zizor gets really weird and sexual with his droids. That's a weird thing to have in a book. To, oh, this um, sentient 10-year-old entity. Um, was compelled to to share a bath with this awful prince and um, heavily implied that other things happened. So, like, when I think of hype things that happen in this book, like, there's some cool X-Wing fights um, that happen and stuff. Uh, Vader finally deciding to destroy the Skyhook is pretty cool. Um, like, I, like, I just can't. I just really can't appreciate any of those scenes uh, because I always come back to if I were to meet Steve Perry, if I were to talk to him in person, I just like show him a picture of Curry and I just ask him why. Like, why, why anything that you did with this character? Like, <laughs> I'll feel like John Mulaney from that bit. I'll just be like, why 
<laughs> and see, Perry will just be like, because it's the one realization you'll never forget. <laughs> and like, it's just, just what an evil man. <laughs> like, what an, what an evil, corrupt soul to, to, to think of something like that. Oh, man. Oh, boy. So I don't know if that's the hypest, but that's definitely the part of the book I'll probably remember until like I'm on my deathbed when I've forgotten the names of my children. I'll still probably remember how I felt when I read that part of the book. <laughs> yeah, I um, I can't disagree. Um, I, I'm kind of with you. I'm like, yeah, some of the X-Wing fights are cool. But every time there was an X-Wing that showed up, I was like, I was just like, man, I could be reading Rogue Squadron right now. You know, I could be reading the, the Michael Stackpole books, which are infinitely better than this. Um, yeah, I just, I did not really enjoy anything about this book. Um, but uh, the leads to the last question, which is probably going to be pretty damn quick. So, Josh, here at the EU or EU Review, we have been assembling our own personal grand canon of all the things that definitively happen in our version of star wars okay so i am curious gosh is star wars shadows of the empire in your grand canon i have a complicated answer to this oh dear um part of growing up in fandom as you two youngins will soon understand is coming to a very harsh realization which is that particularly if you like Star Wars, which is that Star Wars fans are a bunch of big man babies. Oh, dear. No. And, and what you have to understand about Shadows of the Empire, as much as we rag on it, as much as we like talk about how bad it, badly it is written and everything, you know, as horrible as we find it, you know, this is closer to what they want. And if you if if you look at all the issues that we're having with, where it's like you know, you know, sex robots and you know and like, or are they robots? Uh, you know, and like weird, weird, weirdly like sexual Princess Leia. You know, um, you know, a Luke who's an action hero more than anything else. You know, uh, a Darth Vader who quips. You know, like these are the things that we were told was missing from the new trilogy. And so what I'm telling you is this, this is not in my canon at all. It's, it's, it's not, it will never, it's, I mean, it is cause it's part of, like I said, it, it's a huge part of where I came into star Wars, but it's not a part of my personal canon. It doesn't need to be in the canon, but anybody that wants to understand why there is a divide among star Wars fans should read this book. Because this is the dividing point, you know, because there's people, there's, there's two ways to look at certain scenes in Star Wars. And there's two ways to look at Star Wars as a whole. And this is, this is the dividing point of it, because I'm telling you, you know, at this time, this is, this is why people got so angry with, uh, with the new trilogy is because sure, you know, the, the, you know, the prequels were bad. You know, people were disappointed in them and everything. But, man, you know, we got we got the weird sex fan fiction that you go pick up a Books a Million, you know, all day long. Uh, you know, and that was that was across a lot of these books. 
And the fact that Disney came in and was like, no, we're going to make Star Wars back to what Star Wars probably was intended to be. That's what made so many fans angry. And so when I was reading this book again, I understand every time you guys are going to stop having me on here, could always have these, 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 uh, these weird freaky moments. When I was reading this again, I was like, yeah, this is, this is where this is, this is the dividing line right here, you know? And, um, you know, so you're right. It's not in my canon, but there's a lot of star Wars fans that we're going to disagree with for the rest of our lives. That even if they haven't read this, this is their canon. This is how they see these characters. And that's why this book was made this way because people saw these characters this way, you know, and they, this is what they wanted out of star Wars. And, you know, and that's, you know, that that's troubling to me, but yeah, that's where I'm at. Uh, yeah, no, that's very, that's very troubling, but I don't think you're entirely too wrong. And that's the, that's the tragedy of it. But fortunately, uh, the truth of Star Wars is always about standing up for what is right. And even if you are the minority and the, or just the rebel alliance, you are always standing against the, the larger evil force, which for the record, I do not think is larger than the true Star Wars fans, but that does lead me to that does lead me to uh, does lead me to asking Al, is this in your grand canon, my friend? No, one hundred percent. Oh, <laughs> no, it's not. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. Um, and uh, we've talked a lot about like why we don't enjoy this book or the story or these depictions of these characters um, or the new characters who were introduced. Um, um, Josh was able to say a lot there about how like it really is kind of a reflection, you know, like um, to go off of Josh's point, um, you know, I read at this point, I've read like a good chunk of star Wars stuff, both old and new, um, I wouldn't call myself an expert on old canon or new canon by any means because there's a lot I haven't. But when I read something like this, something like Shadows of the Empire, and I compare it to what I've read by, um, you know, Charles Soule or Claudia Gray um, or uh, many of the High Republic um comic book authors, um, or anything like that. Um, I read those stories and read those comics, and I see these characters who were created with the intention of saying something very similar to what we say all the time, is that, hey, uh, Star Wars is for everybody, and no matter the type of person you are, no matter um, who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter who you love, no matter any of that, um, there is something in Star Wars for you to enjoy and for you to relate to. Um, because Star Wars, at its core, is a story of adventure, and it's a story of hope. And those are um, things that are universally understood um, in the human race. And then you compare those stories and those ideas to something like Shadows of the Empire. Where in stark contrast, you read this book, and the only takeaway you have is, oh, this was written for one specific group of people. Uh, this was written for one type of human being. Um, this was written for uh, the person who <clears throat> likes to think of 
women as being completely sexual um, for use and for function and for people who want to like um, clap when they see the things they know. That's who Shadows of the Empire is written for. Um, and um, you know, whether it's Star Wars or whether it's anything else in life, you have to come to a, to kind of a point with that line, that dividing line, as Josh has said, where you're just like, one of these things is for me and one of these is not. Um, we've already covered a couple of, of new canon and High Republic things, um, and those are in my canon uh, because I can, I know I can share those stories and those characters with absolutely anybody who comes into my life. Um, and for Shadows of the Empire, I have zero desire to share this with anybody. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at on on the grand canon question. Which, by the way, even though it's not in my canon, I had all the desire to share it with you too. <laughs> I had every desire. Like I, I, like, I mean, I just, I just wanted you guys you, to read this. You awful, awful person. Yeah, I know. You. We know, Josh. We know. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna end it for us. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Obviously, this is not my grand canon. Um, it's just it is not. Oh, um, but you played a prince Zizor. <clears throat> I did play a prince Zizor. Yeah, you, you know, and that's you still I, have a prince I, I do because I didn't know at the time that he had like horny pheromones. Oh. Like, okay, well, well, Jacob, that, Jacob, that begs the question. Now that you know, what are you gonna do with that prince Zizor? I. I mean, I'm still probably going to hang on to it because it's part of the collection. Damn it, you know, and <laughs> you know, and and it is a, it is a. Those who don't forget, who don't remember the past are doomed to repeat it, Al. So we have to remember the horrible things that have come before, and we have to understand how Disney saved Star Wars. Uh, well, and, everybody out there on the flip side of that, if anybody's um, around Central Kentucky and wants to meet up and hang out. I'm going to be hiding this book on fire after this podcast. Uh, so you can join me if you like to. <laughs> I don't blame you. But, uh, but yeah, no, this book is so bad. Um, Rise of Skywalker looks good, uh, is good writing, in my opinion. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, yeah. But, uh, but anyways. I, I would go that far, but all right. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm there. I got to be honest. Um you know, but but anyways, uh, thank you all so very much for listening to all of this. If you are still with us, thank you so much, um, Josh. Despite us being very angry with you for making us read this book, we are happy to have had you on. We we love you, and we're so happy that you could be celebrating Star Wars with us. I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, the entire reason that I was so dead set on y'all reading this book and putting you through this personal Star Wars hell sure. is because you guys did not have me on for the Karen Gillan Darth Vader run. I've stated several times one of my top 10 favorite comic runs of all time. I'm the <laughs> one that owns that run, not you, Jake. Oh. I was getting them at the time. And, uh -huh. I, and I just want to throw out all this family history right now. Sure. Okay, and talk about it right now. Okay, gotcha. We can spend the next 30 minutes talking about it, or you might want to cut me off. Are, are you going to attack my skyhook later? I'm is going that, to attack what's gonna happen? Okay, Because gotcha. what is, the thing is, is like, is is that you know like i'm going to have all these conversations with you and i'm going to play dad against you you know and like and like you'll be like you'll be like wow 
you know, I don't know. He, he, you know, why is he, why is he butting up with dad? I'm supposed to buddy up with dad. And then we'll like have a fight about it. And then, then you'll burn down my sky hook. Oh, crazy, man. I feel like if I really wanted to be a good version of this character, I wouldn't even care that you were doing <laughs> right. that. So, you know, there you go. So anyways, <laughs> but on that note, once again, well, folks, fandom is for everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> thank you for hanging out with us, Josh. Al, as always, thank you so much. Uh, listeners, please check out the Horror Fest uh, podcast this month. The next one that's coming up is the Nathan Lewis Memorial episode. It's a Memorial episode, even though he's still alive. Yeah, he's alive. Uh, but... <laughs> no, no, that man is dead. That, that man, man is dead. dead. He's <laughs> on the skyhook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As always, remember the Phantomist for everyone. Thank you all so much. We'll see you all next time.